8.47. So, don't flush your contact lenses down the toilet. That's a warning on the whole microplastic pollution front. I mentioned that we'd be talking about that. Uh, We'll also be on the way addressing the wheat genome being sequenced. A lot harder than it sounds and what that means in practical terms. First, though, let me address science's bullying problem with Mark Zastro, science journalist. Good morning to you. Good morning, Alex. And uh, bullying is a problem online. It's a problem in playgrounds, but we don't often hear about it in laboratories. That's right. Uh, But in recent months, we are starting to. um, These uh, terrible stories uh, of junior researchers basically experiencing harassment and abuse from their superiors. Uh, And we're finally starting now to see some action being taken in some of these cases. Last Friday, uh, news broke that a top geneticist in the UK was going to lose a $4.5 million grant. The Wellcome Trust, which is a a large London-based charity that's a major funder of medical research, announced that it would be pulling the grant from the lab of Nazneen Rahman, who is a, a cancer geneticist. And this is after the the charity learned of allegations that she bullied and harassed other scientists in her lab. And it's doubly concerning, isn't it? Because you, no one wants to hear of bullying. And I suppose it makes sense. Anywhere where people are together, this could happen just because they're mm. scientists. Mm-hmm. But and especially so but in academia, right? In, in academia, you're in, hoping- in science where you have this hierarchy. Exactly. And we're placing our hopes on these people to come up with a cure. Yeah, that's right. Um, unfortunately, well, at the moment, we don't we don't actually have any details about what exactly this behavior constituted uh, because the research institute, the Institute of Cancer Research in London, they haven't made their internal investigation public. Uh, but the Wellcome Trust did announce that Rahman has already resigned her post in July and is trying to uh, transition her research onto other people. Uh, this is just one of though uh, one of these high profile high profile cases this year where we've seen allegations of this sort uh, two other cases in germany in the famed max planck society which is that country's most elite research network uh, an astronomer, Guinevere Kaufman, was accused of verbally degrading her students in their performance and also sending racist emails. And Tanya Singer, who ironically is uh, perhaps the world's best-known empathy researcher, uh, she researches these neuroscience of empathy, uh, she was accused of verbal abuse and also uh, treating pregnant women poorly, accusing them of not being devoted enough to the lab. Reminiscent, isn't it, of the Me Too movement, with more and more people coming forward? Yeah, it is. It is. There's a, there's definitely uh, some overlap with this as well. Um, also, last week we saw the student the Student Researchers Association at the Max Planck Society uh, issuing a statement calling for reforms. Obviously, many of these allegations that are now emerging are not sexual in nature, but it does come back to, as we say, this power dynamic between students or junior researchers and their advisors or professors. Uh, In many cases, these people are not just controlling their lab and their activities, but they also control the direction of, uh, of the careers of those underneath them. And increasingly, we're learning of these cases where students and uh, postdocs are blowing the whistle and institutions are, I think, slowly starting to realize that they do need to take action. So you talked before about what the Wellcome Trust is doing. Mm-hmm. And and what it's actually been doing is even more than that, putting a policy into place this summer. But is enough being done generally? 
Well, a lot of scientists say that no, um, there are many institutions that are trying to put in, into place these policies. As you say, the Wellcome Trust, they have their anti-bullying and harassment policy. The U.S. National Science Foundation also instituted a similar policy earlier this year. But in order for people to you know, actually feel confident to come forward, they have to feel that there is uh, a disciplinary process that will not just you know, look at this policy, but actually take action against uh, the people that, that need to have action taken against. And uh, in this case, you know, the, re- the student researchers at Max Planck, they're coming forward because uh, they feel that not enough has been done. The empathy researcher, Tanya Singer, she was not let go. She was only placed on a one-year sabbatical, and that's now coming to an end. So she'll be back in the lab once more. Yes, understandably, there must be concern there. Now, in a massive international effort, in our next story, scientists have finally sequenced the wheat genome. A, why is that such a challenge? Well, it 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 comes down to the complexity of the genome. This was a truly huge international effort. It was uh, 73 research institutes in 20 different countries uh, all working together. So... If you compare this to the effort to sequence the genomes of other crops that we've already seen, such as uh, rice or corn, you know, rice was sequenced uh, as far back as 2002. Uh, But wheat took until now just because the genome is so complex. There are three, for comparison, three billion DNA letters in the human genome. But in bread wheat, there are 16 billion. Uh, And one of the reasons for that incredibly high count is that wheat itself is a hybrid of of three genomes, three plants or wild grasses that hybridized uh, in some cases hundreds of thousands of years ago before humans were even uh, around uh, to to actually, you know, cultivate it. So bread wheat actually has these three pairs of every chromosome. So it's very confusing for scientists to figure out how it all goes together. But uh, thanks to this huge effort and also the advances in sequencing technology recently, scientists have been able to map the genome of the variety called Chinese Spring. So they've identified 107,000 genes in it. Uh, It really is quite the accomplishment. And this could be of great benefit to people who've had to avoid bread. It could down the line. The hope is that this will allow for uh, more precise gene editing uh, to produce, uh, yes, GM wheat, uh, GM crops. Of course, those are controversial, though widespread around the world. But this is like giving researchers a roadmap to identify and pinpoint exactly what genes to alter. So, you know, wheat provides about one-fifth of all the calories that humanity consumes. So if you are going to be modifying a crop, trying to uh, improve the food security situation in many places around the world, this is one of those crops that you would look at. Uh, Some researchers have already used uh, this genome to create varieties that have 20% larger grains, uh, combining that with CRISPR technology to do the actual editing. Uh, There's also the possibility of creating types that, as you you say, could help people avoid allergic reactions, so creating low-gluten varieties. Uh, So this could be very beneficial to a lot of people. And let's finish with contact lenses. I've never been able to wear contact lenses. Mm, I'm, I'm not a contact user either. Yeah, I find the idea of sticking those things on my eyeball a little bit disconcerting. <laughs> but lots of people do it. Yes. The thing is, if you do do it, that's great. Hopefully you're seeing very clearly. The question is, don't flush them down the toilet. Yes, apparently. I, I did not know that this was a thing, but uh, in an online survey given to U.S. residents, up to 20 pe- 20% of the people responding 
who were using contact lenses said that they dispose of their lenses by flushing them down the toilet or flicking them down the drain. And based on that figure, researchers at Arizona State University estimate that 13 tons of plastic contact lenses wind up in U.S. wastewater treatment systems every year. And that, you know, is bad enough on its own, but one of the issues here is that those researchers then carried out an experiment to see what happens to contact lenses in those wastewater treatment plants. And they found that the bacteria and the microbes that are used to treat it uh, actually help to break down the lenses until they get down to microplastic beads. So then this is plastic pollution that never gets filtered out. It goes from the treated sewage sludge into farms as fertilizer, then it can run into uh, surface water and down into the ocean. So it yeah. uh, just feeds back into the environment. Don't fancy uh, eating or drinking someone's little bit of contact lens. Yeah, for sure. I, I, and if this is just something that's been researched in the US, perhaps it's something that's happening around the world. Absolutely. In urban, uh, in particular, urban environments, we've seen microplastic pollution being more and more of an issue. Mark Zastro with our Science and Tech Roundup. We've got to leave it there. Thank you. Thank you, Alex.